Mastermind.fm is proudly sponsored by LiquidWeb. While LiquidWeb has been best known as a managed hosting company with tons of options, it's also designed a managed WordPress offering that is perfect for mission-critical sites. If you're looking for improved performance, maximized uptime, and incredible support, LiquidWeb is the partner you've been waiting for. Now with Visual Compare, at first in the managed WordPress space, automatically updates your plugins. Each night we take a snapshot and visually compare the difference between each plugin. If there's no visual difference, we update the plugin for you. If there is a visual difference, we hold off updating that plugin and wait for your direction. Every LiquidWeb managed WordPress customer also has iTheme Sync integrated into their management portal, allowing them to update several sites with a single touch. And if you sign up today using the discount code MASTERMIND33, you'll get 33% off for the next six months. Visit liquidweb.com forward slash managed WordPress to get started. Hello everyone, welcome to mastermind.fm. Today with us, we have Amir Helzer, who's joining us from Israel. I had the pleasure of meeting Amir last month, I believe, or the month earlier. We had some great food in Israel, in Tel Aviv. And uh, following that conversation, we decided to bring the conversation out to all of you via this podcast. And so in today's episode, um, we'll be getting to know Amir and his projects and also how he manages to manage such a big and diverse team uh, on a remote basis. So Amir, welcome to the show and you can go ahead and introduce yourself and what you do. Hi, Jin. Hi, James. Okay, so my name's Amir and uh, I've been working in WordPress uh, since about 2007. And I think, like many others, uh, it started out of need. Uh, there was no plan to develop any product, uh, barely knew the platform. I had a different business, and that business needed a website. Actually, this business still exists today, and it's doing just fine. It's our transition service I can localize. And uh, every online business needs a website, and we were looking for how to build one. A friend of mine recommended a new system that he, he, he saw, WordPress. Uh, I, I think at that time... Uh, pages were starting to come out. Uh, WordPress was focused on posts. Uh, we were very excited to have pages then. And we started building a site. Uh, we could already assign a post, a, st a static a page, a static page to the homepage. And off we went. And it's a transition business. Uh, I can localize with a transition service. It's it's unrelated to WordPress. It's coded on in Ruby and it, it has other things, but it, it needs a website. And since it has, it's a translation service, it should have a website in several languages. And from that point, we were interested uh, in how to make a WordPress site that has more than one language. And I think that was the end of 2007, beginning of 2008. The WordPress ecosystem did not exist then. There were some themes. Um, I think we started off from the default uh, WordPress theme. It was that bluish uh, rubric thing, I think. Can you correct me if I'm saying it wrong? Um, and, um, I think it's correct. No, you got it. <laughs> yeah, so we took the... We, we got someone who knows PHP. None of us knew PHP. We knew HTML, but that's it. We got someone who knows PHP. He kind of figured things around and changed this theme uh, to, to our own. That was our original theme, we moved on from them but then, but that was the beginning. Uh, and we experimented with all sorts of solutions. Uh, and we concluded that none of them uh, really fits what we need. And uh, this is basically how WPML got started. 
and uh, we we saw the spirit of sharing, and uh, we created the, we we registered the plugin on the WordPress repository with the wrong name. This is why <laughs> you may have seen the word Cypress in our code a number of times. Uh, I I showed this to. Uh, to a journalist at some point in time, he said, oh yeah, it looks exactly like another project called Sidepost that another company is doing. You should change the name if you don't want to have trouble. And then we also changed the name. <laughs> but uh, the name is still stuck in a number of places in our code. Um, and yeah, kind of grew from that point, I would say. And uh, here we are today. Very good. And obviously, we can also mention Toolset, which is also one of the biggest projects, I guess, in WordPress in terms of plugins as well. So Toolset, we started around uh, 2011. And uh, again, uh, always out of need. Um, we, didn't, we, we needed to maintain, at, at that time, several sites already. Uh, we didn't enjoy the idea of every time asking uh, a developer to make some small change. Uh, the people responsible for that, me included, were not PHP developers. Um, I I can program in several languages. PHP is not the strongest one of them. And uh, we knew that uh, a module like this existed in uh, Drupal CMS because uh, at that time we were very active both on WordPress and in Drupal. We got data here and we saw that everything in Drupal happens through views. And we said, we should, we should have something like this for WordPress also. Uh, but that uh, this didn't start as a as a community project. We we thought that if we need it, others other people could use that also, and that started as a commercial project from the beginning. Um, and uh, it's like you said, it's it's this is also growing, and it's a it's a complex project, and uh, it's still evolving. It, it's there are still many changes in it in every release. Mm-hmm. And just to give a bit of context, how many people do you have working on these two projects at the moment? Um, developers on WPML, just developers, developers, were nine developers, plus uh, people doing testing, plus people, uh, plus a support team. Uh, we have sev- separate uh, two people doing uh, front-end design, uh, but they move between projects. Uh, graphics design front-end and graphics design and on toolset i think that uh, we're 11 yeah i think we're 11 developers at the moment and again uh, supporters and testers and so in total around number of people Uh, for both plugins so the entire company is 90 something people and that includes uh, also hr uh, marketing writers uh, all sorts of uh, non-PHP stuff. Right. And so that that was uh, why I asked the question to give just a context to our listeners about the size of, of this project. And you're actually one of the first, I guess, digital nomads and uh, one of the first people who really took this digital nomad thing to life, you know, and uh, you lived for a period in Argentina. So could you share how, how that came along and how you managed to manage the business from there? Yeah, but that's actually, the, the order is in reverse. I wanted to have uh, a nomad life. I wanted to mm-hmm. have the freedom to go wherever I want. And I looked for the kind of work which will allow it. So mm-hmm. before that, 
I, I, I was working uh, for larger companies. Um, right. b- before working with WordPress, I was doing something something completely different, which required me to go to an office and work uh, at least nine to five. It was a fun job. It paid well, but there, there was little flexibility about it. Um, and uh, I was looking for something that I can do um, from anywhere uh, without reporting to anyone. And uh, I started working on my own business. And when it was it was large enough to maintain more than myself, started hiring and uh, said goodbye to my last job. <laughs> and we're awesome. still friends. Yeah, me and, <laughs> me, and, me and my previous jobs are still friends. So you, you actually managed to grow the company while you are... You, you are still actually all remote-based, right? Yes, yes. You have everyone. no central office for no, just for tax, just just for you know reporting taxes and stuff. And so last time, me and James last week, we were discussing how we go about managing our own businesses, and we were discussing how we sometimes uh, spend possibly too much time doing the small things in the business, and we should probably let go of these things and have someone come in and do them. So with your size, I guess you've had to deal with this a number of times, right? And letting go of certain tasks and delegating them to other people. So I, I think it would be interesting for you to share how you deal, like if you have some kind of company structure and if you have a system in place for, you know, maybe giving away tasks from your responsibility to someone else and how you manage that process in the long, in the long run. Sure. So first thing first, uh, you need to have the right people on board. If you don't have the right people on board, you can set up whatever nice systems you have and write whatever good procedures you come up with and it's not going to work. So you definitely want to have people uh, with capabilities, talented people who want to work and want to contribute and create something nice, be part of something nice. They're not just coming to work to get paid. Of course, everyone goes to work to get paid. I do the same. But they, they have uh, other interests beside the monthly paycheck. They want to create something. So first thing first, if you don't have the right people, nothing's going to work. And uh, this is why one of the first and most important roles that we have in the company is uh, Laura, who's doing our HR responsible of personnel. Extremely important. I cannot stress how important that is. Um, Okay, so now assuming you have the right people, you need to let them succeed, basically. Um, You you hired people who want to succeed. They They can do that. And now you want to set up the mechanisms that just allow them, allow this to happen. Um, So we experimented with different things and we keep evolving. I think every... Uh, every reasonable workplace would do that. Uh, today, uh, we work in small and medium teams. We don't have anyone working by themselves, definitely not for extended periods. Um, each team has a daily daily meeting where they sync up, they see each other, they hear each other. Um, they exchange a little bit of information just to know that everyone's okay and to know what everyone's up to. Um, and uh, we use an issue tracking system uh, we use we today we use a system called Utrack, uh, which we're very happy with, um, and we try to use it in a in a way so that the system doesn't become a project by itself. Uh, fiddling with a system shouldn't become one of the challenges of the business, and uh, we we get better at this. So we measure results, and I think every business needs to do this, uh, not measure uh, effort or measure intentions, or measure anything on the way, measure really results. 
measure results and uh, make sure that what you define as results, it's actually measurable. Um, so for instance, right now we're trying to release a new version of Toolset, a version that includes a whole lot of changes. So obviously there's a lot of chance for things to go wrong when you make so many changes. Um, and uh, this, this testing cycle has been difficult for us. So when you do something and it goes very difficult, remember that you hired good people. So there's no point in going around and trying to blame who's not doing his job right. Uh, you need to look for what's systematically broken, why it's happening, okay? Nobody is trying to make you fail and nobody is being lazy. Um, something that you're doing is broken and uh, you, you involve the people related to that project. And now everyone knows that we're trying to find what is causing this to go difficult. And uh, it happens, okay? So people saw it there, people notice things more and we find out what's what's wrong. So we don't have one guy sitting in his office under a lamp writing rules. Uh, we have everyone interested in the success of the process, success of the product and results and um, improving these rules. So when I said that we have goals, if, you, if you're doing a QA now, it's very easy to measure the success of this QA. You finish the QA, you release the product, you, f you wait a few days and you measure how many bugs you have and the amount of bugs that you're getting in support after you're done releasing it, after it passed QA. It tells you how successful you were in the QA. It's very measurable, it's numeric. And you can compare this from release to release and you can see if your process for QA is actually improving or it's deteriorating. Does this help? Yeah. And uh, so, so my biggest question would be, as you grow, uh, how did your role change within the company? Obviously, like we have people like myself or even James dabbling around with code. I remember once you told me that you would like to code more, but you don't have time now. So I guess my question would be, how, how does that role evolve as the company grows? And what do you do? What do you spend most of your time on nowadays? Well, I like reading in my evenings and I can look by the books that I'm reading, what I'm doing during the day. So when, when I was working in an office as an employee previously, I would read books on, uh, on programming, on uh, performance, on the, whatever technical subject that was. Yeah. Today, uh, I'm looking at my library of books and it includes uh, books about uh, psychology, about uh, HR, about marketing. Uh, some about advertisement. Uh, so yeah, this is this kind of shows my shift in in work. Right. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, James. Yeah, I, I you know I have I had some questions talking about scaling a team because you know I look at WPML and I look at Toolset and from the outside while they they have some impressive you know active installs, um, there are probably projects that have you know multitudes higher active installs that can't support the team that you have surrounding I'd, I'd like actually it's a little bit off topic from the development but i'm interested to hear uh how you built a project how you built a project how maybe this is more of a marketing or a sales uh question as a whole uh because i have to assume that a majority of those active installs must be paying customers to support a team like that um and so what is some of your process for converting those free users because they're both free plugins in the repo into paying customers that can support a team like nine and ten. I mean, we, you know, I, I just using it as a comparison. Ninja Forms 
Games has 800,000 plus active installs. Uh, we have a team of five developers and we always feel like we're drowning in development work because we have more we want to do, but not the development bandwidth to actually get everything that we want done. Um, and yet here is a pr- here are projects that are, you know, visually half the size. Uh, I would I, my rec- my my assessment is that you have <laughs> your customers are great. You have higher customers uh, over users. But uh, that has built up these teams that are substantial development uh, teams to do that. And I'm curious of what was the transition? What was the process that got you to that place? There, there isn't a free, do- a free version of WPML. There used to be a free version of WPML okay. uh, six years ago, six or five years ago. Okay. And this stopped in favor of a full or only paid, paid version. And that was actually um, a, a, an interesting time for us because we... When you give something for free, obviously everyone loves you. And uh, we got to, mm-hmm. we had the same <laughs> discussion as you have. We, we were a team of uh, four at the time, myself and three other. And um, we had a lot of active installs in WordPress. It was really fun times to watch the stats. You remember WordPress wasn't hiding that. It was yeah. really excited, exciting. And we were sitting there and thinking <laughs> to ourselves, how do we get more of these people to, to, to become paid clients? We had a... Uh, we, we, we had an option to, to pay us to get additional services, but uh, conversion rate wasn't that high. Um, yeah. And uh, we tried all sorts of things. And eventually we came to the conclusion that uh, maybe we should try something else, like uh, asking people who want to use our product to pay us. Uh, you know, it's a novel idea. <laughs> we probably <laughs> invented the wheel at that point. <laughs> yeah, you make a product, you support it, you charge for it. Uh, we told people it's going to happen. We set a, a, a schedule for it and we met the schedule. And uh, in advance, uh, we told people what they will expect, what they can expect on the first release of the paid product and why we think it's going to be worth their money. Um, surprisingly, very few people uh, complained to us about that because they realized that um, with the additional resources that uh, we're getting, uh, they're getting a commitment from us. It's not going to be a best effort project anymore. It's going to be a contract. They're paying us uh, and we owe them something and we're not going to go to sleep at night until they get what they need. So... I think we had very, very few complaints and people were just happy to finally be able to pay for something and get it working perfectly for them. Have an address to complain when they need support. Not to be thankful for getting someone to reply to them. (laughs) <laughs> so give us a give us an idea of that transition. So you have this free product, you're you're transitioning, you've given them a roadmap, kind of a, a runway of when this is going to happen, what the free release, what the what the first paid release is going to include in it, what they can expect from it. What was your what is it the same payment uh pricing yes. that you have today? Was it different when you did that? It was I think at uh, 2000 and either at, at the beginning of 11 or the end of 10. We announced it, we announced the pricing, and the same pricing holds until today. We had no need to change the pricing. Okay. So these were prices that you were offering for upgrades to services, but you just basically killed the free version and rolled it into this, what's included in your pricing already. Our initial offering was to sell support. So we, we thought right. we thought that what's really loading us on WordPress.org is the amount of, of free support that we need to give. And we thought, if this is our cost, then we'll charge just for that. 
And we tried that for a while and uh, it didn't work out for us. Apparently, when you offer a free support here, everyone thinks that is uh, not actually asking a support question. He's helping you reporting a bug. So you should mm -hmm. be paying him, if anything. And when someone did ask for support, it turns out that that wasn't a support question. It was actually uh, hiring you to do their own IT work for $29. So this <laughs> also did not work out. And we said a, a, a few guys cannot, uh, cannot sponsor everyone else. Uh, and we, we yeah. cannot build a business out of that. And we told guys yeah. up front, um, we're not going to be able to maintain this plugin anymore. Would you mind paying such and such price uh, for yearly updates? Or uh, do, do, you, do you recommend us to go out of this business? And... <laughs> no, really. I, I, I might be able to look, find no, this blog post no, for you. I, li I like the ultimatum. <laughs> it's not an ultimatum. Uh, we our, our main business at that time was not WPML. It's not an sure. ultimatum. It's uh, putting things on the table, saying them as they are. Not very politically correct, but it's not an ultimatum. Uh, would you rather have something that you, you come to depend on? Would you rather that this vanished or kind of die off quietly rather than know, know about it up front? What's better for you? Sure. And, and what I mean by ultimatum is this idea of you can either have it at, a co at some cost or the tool will just simply cease to exist altogether. You know what I mean? Like it's not, it's not an ultimatum in, in the traditional sense of we're forcing your hand. It's simply saying these are the facts of the situation. Yes. And if you, if, you want a, if you want a product that gives you this value, it, it has, there's a price tag attached to of it. Course. And that's how we keep it and maintain it and give you and actually follow through with the promise yes, that we've made Yes, and the people who were using WPM at the time was, were very supportive of this. And they actually remained supportive of us even though after it became a paid plugin, it still had too many bugs, in our opinion. In the first year or so, it still had too many bugs, and they remained supportive of us, uh, partly because they saw that we were making a very big effort, and partly because it was the best product out there. Now, we were very aware of the situation, and we knew that the fact that we were first and uh, alone is not going to last forever, and we cannot uh, allow the, the quality to remain mediocre. So Laura uh, uh, did her very best, and she was advertising like crazy everywhere we could, and we were interviewing, half of our time we were interviewing candidates, and we realized that unless we get very good people on board, nothing is going to change. We cannot force a change we need to get the right people to, to do this so we were very very yeah. active at the beginning and we're still active getting the right people to work on this project on any project and uh, james i think it's worth also mentioning and amir you can correct me if i'm wrong as if i remember correctly you also apart from uh, telling people in advance what would happen you left the free version available for a, a period of time yes. on the re repository. So people could, rem could remain on the free version for some time and decide if eventually they want to move to the new version, which had more advanced features. Yes, but eventually, you know, a plugin that doesn't get any updates yeah. becomes unusable. And uh, mm -hmm. I think that there are quite enough examples of themes and plugins on the WordPress repository that got abandoned over time. And some of them, I think the, the most irritating thing is when they 
become semi-abandoned. They get an update once every year and a half. So this really leaves you not knowing what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, you start looking for alternatives, and up, yep. there's an update, and then another year and a half you're stuck. Um, and I know some of the people who are managing this, and I think that they're in a real catch-22 situation. Um, the, uh, the, the, the majority of the people you're going to hear, they don't represent the actual majority of your potential clients. People who are busy building projects for their paying clients, they're a lot less active on Facebook, on Twitter, and in the in the WordPress support uh, forums or in the reviews, even They're just busier. No, I, I I agree with that 100%. Our our highest paying customers are the ones who are building projects, multiple projects a year using our product, and we almost never hear from them in support. They have. They have. They're too busy to even bother with that. They fix what they need. They they find their workaround and they just keep moving forward. Yeah. So some, sometimes you just have to take a little leap of faith. You need to really not just do it out of chance. Get your mm -hmm. numbers right. Talk with people who you initiate. Yeah. Know your facts correctly and make take actions according to this, not according to what the what, where the crowd is pushing you. So for our listeners uh, who may be supporting a free project, uh, maybe it's freemium like some of our products are uh, with, a, with a kind of a premium upgrade or an add-on or whatever the case may be. Uh, when you made that tr transition, tell me how significant that was for you as a company because – you know, I'm sure there are some of some of our listeners who maybe are on the fence. Maybe they're not getting the revenue is not where they need it to be uh, with a pro upgrade with the freemium, and they're making that dis dis decision that you had to make back then. Uh, maybe it's time for us to make this switch over to premium only. Otherwise, we're not going to survive as a company. What was the financially just morale of your team all of that like what was the impact of making that change and i know that change can't necessarily be made by everybody not everybody's going to have the exact same results they don't have the exact same project the exact same team the exact same customers but in that grand scheme of things what was the impact of that on your team uh when you made that change of course they were happier because we had money to pay salaries that makes everyone's ha everyone happy <laughs> And uh, we had money to grow the team, which makes... Yeah, listen, uh, when you're a company of four, people work a lot of hours. They work many, many hours trying to pull everything together. And uh, it's it's difficult to sustain this over years. Uh, you're in, uh, in a crazy atmosphere the whole time. And there's always a shortage of some, something, something important. And when you have enough resources, you can build the company forward. You're not always uh, trying to put out fires. I, today, I'm proud to say the WPML is a good product. Uh, it's not perfect, but it's a it's a solid and good product. And there, there's no way it would have been a good product without resources. Um, we pay a lot of money for licenses to for a number of uh, of tools, expensive tools which increase the quality significantly. Automated testing tools, language tools. Uh, everyone gets good editors. Everyone gets uh, uh, new pieces uh, once in a while, new pieces and good monitors. Uh, this thing actually does cost money. And uh, you, do, you need resources in order to do that. Um, we promise people uh, to give support on a timely, uh, in a, time, a timely manner. This means we have to have a big support team. We have a pretty big support team. We have a lot of pain clients. We need to have a big support team. Um, 
we don't want developers spending half of their time in support. So we have second tier and third tier supporters who are actually developers themselves. They're in the support team though. They're not counted as developers. You asked me how, how large the development team is. Uh, sure. I don't have a way to do that without money. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I, I'm curious. Uh, so I'm, I would assume then when you made that transition, uh, that first release, that was probably a pretty big month, if you yes. will, right? Like that initial release, because all of these free users now have to transition. Uh, so I, you know, I, and the reason I bring this up, and the reason I ask these questions, is because I know there are listeners, and I, I'm a big proponent of people experimenting, not getting stuck in the rut of doing things the way they've always done it. Because we all have heard the statement, and we all know this, right? What got us here isn't going to get us there. It's not going to get us to the next level. And you always have to kind of be fluid with your company a little bit and be willing to make adjustments. And there are maybe people who are stuck in maybe this freemium model or stuck thinking we can't survive like this and they're afraid uh, to give up the what they would consider to be the wordpress.org bump of installs. They're afraid to give that up because they think that somehow is going to hurt their sales you know, overall. And I just want to encourage people to be listening to what you're saying because they may need to make that change. It may be a necessary change if they want to stay in business and flourish and grow their um, company. I, I, don't, I don't know everyone personally, but I know that uh, some of our colleagues who have... Uh, uh, free, uh, free plugins. They're making a very good mm -hmm. living selling premium plugins. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I realize that this depends. So in my opinion, you have, you're putting a certain amount of effort towards marketing. Your free mm -hmm. plugin, your free product needs to be under the marketing section. Okay. And you yep. need to realize that this is a marketing expense. Developing and supporting this is part of your marketing efforts. That's it. Yep. Your product needs to be on the side and there needs, need, needs to be a significant reason for people to buy your product as by itself, okay? It's it's, a, it's, a, it's its own product and you think you need to look at your free product as a, a channel for exposure. So if there isn't a very significant motive for people to buy your product, it doesn't matter what your free product is. Mm -hmm. Right, yep. so uh, so I'm not against having uh, free pr uh, free items. They can be to for any good reason, but at the end of the day, this is a vehicle to get exposure. Oh, you're doing out of the goodwill. I mean, maybe maybe you're not interested and you're just doing a fun project uh, and you want to to have something on, on the community you, for whatever reason. That's fine. But if you're uh, doing a freemium uh, business. Then you're paying your the product that costs money needs to stand by itself, okay? And people need to have a valid reason to buy it. It it needs um, if it's something nice to have, right? Then it's nice for you to have it. Uh, a product which sells is is something that people uh, cannot continue without it, right? Mm -hmm. So that's it. And the free the the f whatever you have for free is excellent and it's meant to generate uh, awareness and exposure. Yep. Good. No, actually I that that I mean that's great and I you know I think there are a couple of things for listeners to take away from that. One, they may be in need of a transition, and you made that transition. It was extremely successful uh, and helpful for you as a team. It was the right decision for you. It may be the right decision for a listener, but in something they may have gotten out of that that 
other than just transitioning to a premium product, is thinking differently about their freemium offering, which is looking at that free product as solely as a marketing uh, tool, right, as a way of bringing people towards their paid products. Now, obviously, there's a number of things we could discuss in that. We're not going to get into all of it has to be a good product, it has to be a product people need and all the, all those things that, that has to be true about the free. But they need, I think people need to be, as, you, as you're stating, right, they have to be thinking about this is a way to generate people to your actual paid offerings. And if you're not looking at that and it's just this free thing and you're not properly using it as a funnel to get people to your paid products that may be one fix that you can apply right away to start yeah but this shows us this exactly shows us the systematic fault this is why it's it's difficult for all of us because in my opinion there is a systematic fault and the fault is that the system drives us to put everything into the free uh, the free product the advertising space mm -hmm. because otherwise we get penalized Okay, people will penalize. It's very easy to penalize you on the free product for not responding to support at 4 a.m., right? For not checking compatibility with who knows a theme from where it came from, okay? Uh, from not, for not including a feature. Somehow people confuse between features and bug requests. If it's not there, it's, a, it's actually a bug. Okay, so it's very easy to <laughs> penalize you for everything. And it's it's easy for you uh, to get drawn into this and actually turn your uh, advertising space into the product itself. You're going to mm -hmm. pack it with features to make people happy so that by theory, you'll get more exposure and eventually you have, uh, you leave very little incentive for anyone to actually buy your product. You already moved everything that is worth paying money for, you moved it into the free place. It's dangerous. Yep. Yep. People do that. And then you end up uh, selling support. Then you, you'll start selling support plans, which I don't see this working for anyone. No, I agree. So, Amir, you, you started off saying that your product was the first on the market in terms of translations and multilingual plugins. Obviously, as time went along, other people got involved in the same space. And so... It was the second. Q-Translate was before us, but... It, even at that, that time, was free, it though. was already under, and it still is. And at, at it, even at that time, it was under maintained. Mm. The guy doing it was a student, and he did his best during the time he had available. And so, what, what nowadays? What is the thing that keeps you in front of all the all the others compared to back then? You you had a very obvious advantage of being the first, really well supported plugin. But nowadays, there's other competition. There are people doing multilingual in other ways, such as multi-site. So, what makes you keep up your advantage, in your opinion? Well, we're still the first, right? It's difficult to take that away. Mm. Um, no, but this is uh, significant because in, an, in any market, uh, being the first counts. Um, and uh, since we, we have more budget, then we can actually do what people need. Right? So uh, it, will, it would take everyone uh, resources to implement something. So if we have a team of 11 developers, it would just take us less time to respond to what we actually need to do. So unless we decide to mismanage ourselves completely, uh, we should stay ahead. Right. Yep. 
Okay, I understood that. So the first mover advantage in this case enabled you to grow faster than the rest. And so everybody's playing catch up basically. Plus the fact that and it's, it's and, and it's easier for us to, to, to open the distance uh, mm -hmm. even more because we have more resources now. Um, if you pick one feature and compare us to someone else, on each individual feature, I'm sure that you will find some, someone better than us. But um, and, and and it's it's nice to make uh, to make uh, to make a point of it. But bottom line, uh, when you're a development studio, uh, you have projects to build. Um, you're not trying to be smart. You're trying to be. Uh, uh, you tend to be practical. You have you need to finish projects on time. These projects need to work, and I think it's convenient uh, to pick a product which has been in in the market for a while, and you know that everyone working on this product depends on it for their living, so they cannot do anything funny. Uh, they cannot uh, they cannot uh, think arrogant. Uh, they cannot. Uh, start going to uh, conferences instead of answering support. They cannot do any of that. They have to work for you and they have to support you. Otherwise, they're going to have to give up their nice lifestyle and look for something else to do. I think that it's, um, it's an easy decision to pick a product at this stage rather than uh, a product which uh, is free, but who knows where it's going to be in two years. And one thing that people have struggled with in the plugin space is renewals. And I think you have a product which is naturally inclined to make people renew. One, because content is basically one of the most important things the website is for. And uh, having a multilingual plugin in place, I don't think people, once they pick a plugin, will switch their multilingual plugin in two, three hours time. So they keep renewing with that same plugin normally. Yeah, but if uh, we, we, we buy a number of, uh, we use a number of premium plugins ourselves. Mm -hmm. for, for instance, we use Gravity Forms. And you know, it's not a huge lock-in. Uh, you could replace the contact form on your site in a relatively little effort. But we still renew our, uh, our account very nicely every year uh, because uh, doing this is the least expensive thing for us to do, right? The the cost of uh, renewing it for another year is lower than having someone sit for several hours and replace these forms. Mm. It that makes no sense. So I don't think we, anyone needs to uh, synthetically create a lock-in. If what you're doing is good enough and it uh, just replaces even, even several hours of work and uh, you're treating your clients well, I think they should renew. I think that's an idea for you, James. No? Create free changeovers oh. from other plugins to Ninja Forms. <laughs> <laughs> we already have them. <laughs> we get requests. We just don't publicize it. <laughs> but we get requests for it all the time. And we have we have little add-ons that we hand out to make conversion easy from, from all of the competitors. I'm sorry for bringing up your competitor. I, I didn't know no, the affiliation. No, it's all right. I don't mind. No, no, no. We're yeah. That's totally okay. I you know, I, Carl and I are on good terms, so okay. it's okay. <laughs> so Amir, uh, you've been in the WordPress space for a long time now. What uh, are there any things that you'd like to see improved, or you're frustrated with in the WordPress plugin space or the space in general? Um, I think it would be nice if the themes and plugins repository were more welcoming to paying products. Mm. That would have been really nice. 
And I, I think that the folks running this uh, repository know this already, and they, they don't need me to nag on it. But I, th <laughs> I, I think it would have been nice because uh, this, uh, the, the, the community is grown up. People have families. We need to support it. Um, it's, it's fun getting together. It's nice having a community. It's important having a community, but it's also our livelihood. Okay, and not all of us have uh, million-dollar fundings from other venues that we can rely on. We we need to make monthly sales. Yeah, and then you know there's there's a really real economy. There's a real, real ecosystem. Yeah, so something like the Apple App Store, where you have the free products coexisting alongside the premium products. I, I'm not sure what would work, but there are a, a number of uh, mechanisms which which could help that. I, I don't want to engineer it here on a live call, but I, I'm pretty sure that um, if if uh, a, a team uh, in the repository group would sit together and uh, and think for themselves, let's say that we were trying to sell something, what would be a fair and legitimate and constructive way of doing it? They, they would come up with ways. And if they ask questions, plenty of people would give them feedback. Right. Yeah, I'd be interested to see how a change like that would have on the uh, ecosystem as a whole. Because, I mean, I can imagine a number, a number of, and obviously all of it would be speculation. But I could see a lot of the free, the freemium products moving to paid very quickly if they knew they could still get that exposure on .org uh, with their paid products. Um, so I'd be curious to see how that impacts the, the ecosystem. And it would depend on how it was implemented and a whole bunch of factors that we're not able to, like you said, we're not able to engineer here on the show. But be interesting. I I, I, I hope that one day someone will uh, kind of pick this idea. Because uh, I get the feeling that uh, folks on the org, uh, they're, they're worried about things that don't really exist. And uh, <laughs> no, really... Um, they they think that if they make such a change, ever that it's like opening the floodgates. Right. No, I agree. I, with I don't you. think it's it's so dramatic like that. Yeah. You know, doing yeah, a, no. a paid product uh, takes uh, significantly more responsibility and investment than uh, putting uh, a free plugin on the WordPress repository. Not everyone wants this uh, commitment. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. Yep. So the final question I have from my end is: I was wondering if we could share some of the top tools you use in your company. You already mentioned DueTrack for tracking issues. Uh, we use uh, GitLab, mm -hmm. uh, which is a fr free project for uh, for Git repositories. Yeah. Um, we use uh, Conception. Uh, what's the name of the PHP editor? Come on. I pay for it every week. <laughs> um, P PHP Storm. Mm -hmm. um, PHP Storm, yeah. And what's Conception? Um, uh, it's a it's a tool to automate uh, browser-based tests. Ah, okay. Conception. It's an awesome tool. It is. Yep. Still a little janky sometimes to get it to do what you need it to do, but it's an awesome tool. <laughs> yeah, it may, may, can make a big change if you use it correctly. Absolutely. Um, uh, Blackfire. We use Blackfire for performance testing. Uh, we used to to use uh, Xdebug for that, but we've moved to Blackfire, which is way easier um yeah of course xdebug for debugging um yeah i think that's it yeah. i don't know what the graphics designer uses uh, and for <laughs> communicating between the team um we mainly google hangout and we use a google plus community mm -hmm. and uh a lot of the communication happens either in git or in utrecht so uh 
when people need to review code, it's all done on merge requests on Git. And uh, for issue management, uh, you talk. So you don't have something like Slack for chatting? Oh, yeah. I hate this. Yes, we have Slack. Uh, no, um, <laughs> sorry, this slipped out. Um, well, I have I hate your it. favorite one. It's okay. So. They're, it's okay. They're not a sponsor. Yeah, matter. no, I, I hate it uh, when important information appears exclusively on Slack. And then when you start digging up and see uh, why did this not get done? And the, the reason for this often is, well, we had a chat on Slack and I told him. Uh, so this is this is a great tool, not hmm. for reporting issues, not for following up on issues. Yeah, I think we have the same same issue here as well. Things getting missed because they were mentioned on Slack and the other person didn't bother to put in an issue or put it in our knowledge yes, base. Yes, exactly. Yeah, we we kind of say from development if it if it's not in Git, it didn't it's not an issue. And for our the rest of the team, I think a lot of the marketers and stuff use Asana, and they're like, if it's not an Asana, then it's not a sign. Yeah. Like it does not Precisely. exist as a project. Exactly, <laughs> exactly the same philosophy. James, do you have anything else from your end? You know, uh, you know, it's interesting because you know you have this uh, diverse team. Uh, your your team is uh, as if I as I understand it, completely distributed. Um, you have a fairly large team on two major projects, and I'm sure you have other things going on. But I, as far as these two major projects, you have. And a just to large interrupt team. you, James, I think another interesting fact is that they have a multilingual team as well, right? Yeah. So people are yes. offering support in different languages, which I think is also another huge advantage, which other plugins struggle to compete with. Yeah, uh, we started on this, I think, maybe three years ago, and that that's been going great. I mean, uh, more, many of most of our clients are not native English speakers. We have supporters living in the same country, sometimes in the same city. Uh, what's the point in uh, someone from Italy working really hard to ask a question in English at, just in order to have someone else Italian answer him in English? It doesn't do anyone any good, right? Yeah, yeah I, it's interesting. I can't even imagine managing it because we have a hard time offering support <laughs> in English. I can't even imagine. But James, do, I can't imagine trying to do it in other are, languages. Are all your clients uh, English speakers? It's surprising. Um, they're not. I mean, we have we have customers all over the world, but uh, most. I mean, obviously, our team is. We're not distributed at all. Our team is all in Cleveland, oh, okay. Tennessee. So we're we're actually kind of against the grain as that as that's concerned. We've hired completely locally. We have an office in town that we all come to, and so it's a little different in that regard. Okay. So yeah, and 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 I would say even though we are completely. Uh, we are all English first uh, speakers and probably mostly English only speakers. Um, we still struggle with <laughs> offering English support. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, but no, I, I was going to say, though, de like developing, you know, creating a team. Jean and I were talking about this the other week, just talking about development and uh, talking about you mentioned this really early on. And I, I don't want to I, I kind of don't want to glaze over it. And I may have just kind of been mentioned and you mentioned it and you, you mentioned that it was an important point. But we kind of kind of burn through it still because we had other things that were being discussed. And is this and this is the idea as you're building your team is to make sure that you get the right people on the team from the very beginning. The, your first few hires are your most crucial hires uh, because they are going to make the culture of your team. They are the ones who are going to determine whether or not 
you are a you know you are a deadline efficient you know development team that knows we have projects that have deadlines and we don't get to play with all the fanciest tools sometimes because we actually produce in the real world where people have to use these products and so we can't just shift technologies just because something new came out for uh, whatever library new library came out and so we have to kind of stay the course and but hiring in that initial stage, right, getting those people who get that from the very beginning is important because the hires that come after them are going to learn from those hires. They're going to take on that same culture as they come in. So I just wanted to kind of, maybe not a question, I just wanted to kind of bring out something that you had said early on, which is making sure that you have, that you hire the right people from the very beginning uh, as, as a, as really a crucial, a crucial part, which is, hard to do if you've never hired before. So I guess I so I guess that maybe that's my question. If you have never hired before and you're if you're going to give somebody advice to make sure that they get the right people on the team, what's your what is your one piece of advice or your uh, two to three things that you'd say, don't f- do this when you're hiring, do this. We didn't manage to hire the best people uh, at the beginning. We hired very good people at the beginning and we had uh, some excellent people later on also. Um, the yeah. product also improved over time, and uh, we we allowed ourselves the flexibility. So uh, some of the people who we hired as developers at the beginning are actually working in support today, in second tier support. And interesting, yeah, and they accepted this change happily because they saw that uh, gradually uh, stronger developers are entering the team. And they had to make a choice between uh, being the weakest link in the chain or being a, a very strong link in a different chain. It, it, you know, it's not very fun to start by you developing something and then someone uh, more talented or uh, more whatever comes after you and then another one even better and you find yourself struggling. And now you, you like the project. Do you want to meet my dogs? Um, <laughs> you like the project. You like the work. Uh, you need it for a salary. You have a family. Um, they didn't find it uh, problematic to move on to a job where they can become stars. Yeah. I, I think it's okay. What I, what I heard in a different interview that I listened to is that actually uh, the person who makes the hiring decision in the company is the one who sets the culture and actually not mm-hmm. anyone else. Uh, it's not uh, lead, lead developers. Uh, it's, not, it's not the marketing guys. It's only the person who makes the hiring decisions. And uh, the rest of the company would typically align with this spirit. So if the person uh, managing the company responsible of hiring uh, acts accordingly, and uh, stays there, appears appears every day on time, stays on time, uh, acts uh, sensibly, then I think this dictates eventually the culture of the company. So if you're starting out, um, you may, uh, you, you, when you're starting out, you do not have the resources that you will have later. Mm-hmm. No chance. In, in, any, in anything, you also don't have the knowledge that you will have later. So um, it's, it's okay to make changes. Uh, keep in mind that you're dealing with human beings. They're not resources. So they're, they're here also to make a living. Uh, keep that in mind also. Uh, but it's, it's reasonable to make changes, and it's actually your responsibility to make changes. People are looking up to you. 
to make the right decisions. Uh, often you'll notice that all the signs were there in front of your face. Uh, people in your company would eventually quietly come to you and let you know that things are not working out because people want to succeed. And if there's someone who's not in the right position, the team does not succeed. Reflects on everyone. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have this information and it's uh, it's not your privilege, it's your responsibility to make the right decisions. If you don't do this, awesome. who's going to do it? Yeah, I think that's very, very good Absolutely. advice. Um, Amir, you raised a very important point earlier when you asked James if his customers were all English speaking. And I think that applies, obviously, to everyone in this space. And perhaps one of the biggest oversights plugin developers are making is not keeping this in mind, you know, and just focusing on the English speaking market, even in terms of marketing, documentation, support. So in your opinion, how much of a big market are we missing out by sticking to English as our primary language? Um, okay, so WPML is a plugin for people who need to build multilingual yeah. sites. So this is not a good reference. Definitely not a good reference. Uh, for us, the US market is smaller than uh, Italian market, for instance. Mm, very interesting. By the nature of it. Now, yeah. Most most sites in the US, most sites for small businesses in the US maybe need to have a Spanish version. Maybe, maybe, depending on where they are, right? But most, most don't. Most uh, business sites in Italy need to have several languages, more than, more than two. But uh, we also have Toolset, and uh, Toolset is like ninja forms in this regard, I would say. It's a tool for developers. It's not specific to people in, in Italy or in Europe. And, uh, and over there, um, English speaking is about uh, our, our clients coming from English speaking countries are less than half, still less than half. And it's not because uh, they're all coming from WPML, they're just less than half. Um, and this includes uh, US, India, UK, and Australia in this order. Hmm. So there is a problem, <clears throat> I guess, with people just focusing on the English speaking markets. Well, it's a problem for them. Maybe it's an opportunity for someone else. For sure. But I'm talking <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, what do you do actively in, in the case of Toolset to attract these people who are outside of the English speaking community? Um, we uh, we finally had our entire site translated mm-hmm. and now we're offering support in uh, English, German, Spanish and French. So outside of the English speaking uh, language customers which is the next biggest market the german market mm-hmm. german uh, sp- uh spanish speaking and france because mm. there are some people who have a different native language but are quite comfortable working in english as well so i think well uh we're, we're going to add more languages mm-hmm. um we started with these lang- with these languages because uh according to our analytics this covers the vast majority of our clients today mm. And yes, mm-hmm. uh, we, we want to add more languages. And I think to, to Amir's point earlier, Jean, uh, this is in a, in, a, in a lot of ways is a matter of resources, right? In the very beginning, uh, as an, if you're an English-speaking company and you're building a project, uh, you know, like us, I would say, and you're building a project, um, 
you know, we don't have any, we don't have the, we don't have the resources currently to focus the energy there, but I could definitely think of some markets that if we had, when, when the time comes, I could see us putting kind of that very strategic looking at your analytics and saying, where is a larger portion of our population and how can we better serve them by making sure that our site, our marketing and our support is in their language so that we can not only serve our customers, but actually reach more people in that area since we already know we have a, a, a higher contingency in that in that space exactly. so that's that's definitely that's a smart my question move. would be if you are seeing the analytics and seeing people say from germany coming to your site and buying wouldn't that mean that they are already comfortable working with english or maybe you have say japanese people who can't absolutely use english and you're missing out on that market altogether so so, so, so both mm-hmm. i'd say both conclusions are valid uh of course the German people who bought from you, they can speak English if you're only offering a product in English. So every country has a certain percentage of uh, English speakers. Uh, A lot of people speak English in Israel. And uh, still, uh, when we added uh, support and translated WPL.org to to Hebrew and added uh, Hebrew support, sales picked up, definitely. Hmm. Okay, and most mm-hmm. of us here Absolutely. speak reasonable English. Yep. So in general, it it, yeah. it, it it also comes to show something, right? Um, uh, if you're if you're French and you're seeing a website in fr- in French and you see support in French, doesn't it tell you that uh, these guys have a slightly higher commitment to you? For sure, but they're making a real effort to make it easy for you. Absolutely, mm-hmm. I like it. I wonder if we could check the, I don't know if they're open, actually, the WordPress download stats to see which countries are downloading WordPress. Because obviously there's more trans, it. more translations there. Yeah, I, I looked for it. Yeah, that, that's a good idea. Uh, maybe there's a way to check uh, to, to check downloads for the MO files for mm-hmm. the translations. Yeah, because that yeah. would give you an indication of which target markets to target, uh, apart from these which you already know because they're buying from you yeah it's a good idea very interesting james anything else uh no i think i'm good at i'm good for the moment so amir thank you very much for joining us on this podcast i think it's been quite unique and some of the things we have discussed and we'll make sure to note these points in the show notes and in the meantime how can people get in touch with you if if you look up on uh, facebook amir helzer you should find me or if you look up uh, on wpml or on toolset and facebook and you add a message there that uh, this is for me it will get to me awesome thanks a lot for being with us today well thank you for having me absolutely bye